Hey, question this morning is, what will it take to get your attention? All right? What will it take to get your attention, to get my attention, to get our attention? We have so many things in our lives vying for our attention every second of every single day. Let's go through the list. We have our phones. Our phones want our attention. On average, a person gets 46 notifications from their phone on a daily basis. All right, that is people wanting to get into contact with you. That is your applications letting you know, hey, this, that, or the other has taken place inside of this application. And that's if you're one of those crazy people that just give all the permission to all the applications to notify you for whatever they want any time of the day. Um, I give zero permission on my phone for anything but messages and phone calls to come through, even emails. I'm starting to feel a little bit overwhelmed. I don't know what kind of person you are. Maybe you're better than me, and that's fine. Notifications are always wanting our attentions. Our phones are always wanting our attentions. Our friends are wanting our attention on a daily, well, not on a daily basis, on a lively basis. uh, The average American has between one to four close friends. That is people that they would be in contact with at least on a daily basis. People that require relationship from you. People that you require relationship from. People that you are spending your time and uh, relational and emotional and physical equity on and with. How many friends do you have that need something from you, that need your attention? We have our jobs. And our jobs not only want our attention, they not only need our attention, they demand our attention. The average American worker that works full-time gets between, uh, no, they, they on average receive 120 emails a day. 120 emails a day. And they send, on average, 40 emails a day. Now, I hear that, and I just get stressed. I get a little anxious. Anybody receive 120 emails a day? Okay, we need to start sending some of those to spam. Especially if it says, from the boss, send it to spam. From the wife, not to spam. You can figure that out. But we send, we respond to 40 of those. We wonder why we're so stressed out. We wonder why it feels like there's so much weight on our shoulders, so much room taken off of our plates. It's because we're only sending out a third of what's coming in. And so we feel the weight, and it all demands our attentions. For the moms in the house, our kids want our attention. And I'm saying the moms in the house because I live in a family where even if I am closest to the kids, whose name are they calling? It ain't dad. What's dad going to do? Ask mom, okay? That's what dad's going to do because dad is smart. There was a mom that timed it out in a six-hour period, and her, she had three kids, and she just did it with her daughter. Her daughter, who was, I believe, six years old at the time, six-hour period, her daughter called out for mom 159 times. And guess what? Every single one of those times was absolute emergency. Mom, actually, it, there, it had, like, examples listed out, right? Like, my, my daughter called me in her room, and it was an emergency. And it said, Mom, does my Miley Cyrus poster look crooked? Are we, are we serious right now? Our kids... Not only want our attention, our kids need our attention. Our spouses, hey, this is to all the fellows in the house. Your spouse needs your attention. Your wife needs your attention. You are still called to love and pursue her even though you are already married. That is not a trophy that you mount over your fireplace and then you're done hunting. All right, you continue to pursue your wife through the rest of your life. Continue to date. I'm not saying it's hunting season all the time, but maybe that's exactly what I'm saying. 
and you have a license, and it's your ring, and it's your marriage license. That's exactly what I'm saying, actually. It's hunting season, baby. Never out of season. Amen. Okay. Today, today, we would do well to take note that it's not just all of these things in our lives that is demanding, that are demanding our attention, that want our focus, but also this morning that our Savior is saying, hey, I need your attention. I need your focus. I, I know there's a lot going on over here. I know ministry has been crazy. I know there's a lot going on in your life. He's talking to his disciples, and this is a, a close, intimate relationship that he's having with them this morning. I know I asked you to step away from a lot of things so that you would follow me, but guess what? I need to know right now that you are with me. I need to know that you're paying attention. I need to know that you are listening because what Jesus is about to dive into this morning, we're going to hit the first one, but he dives into three parables. We're going to hit this one on the, on the lamp this morning, but what he is trying to get their attention for is to realize like, hey, I need you to understand this. I need you to understand this because I need you to take part in this. But if that's ever going to happen, then you need to tune everything out just for a little bit and really hone in, really focus on what I have for you right here. So with all the phones on Do Not Disturb, with all of the uh, notifications turned off, with all of your kids, hopefully in kids ministry, amen. Let's dive into the scripture this morning. We're going to be in Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25. We're going to split this up into two different sections. 21 through 23 is where we'll start. And he said to them, this is Jesus, to his disciples, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying that you bring a lamp into a house to shine on everything else. What Jesus is saying here is that he is the lamp. What Jesus is saying here is that he is the light, and he is that in our lives today through the word. See, in the gospel of John, we see this over and over and over and over. John really hones in on this idea of Jesus being the light to the world. John 12, 46, he has come, come as a light into the world. John 1, 4, the light of men. John 1, 9, he is the true light. This is so important. This is where we'll spend a lot of our time today. And then John 8, 12, again, he is the light of the world. So, how do we take this idea that is very lofty, that is very abstract, um, that we can say, yeah, Jesus is our light, and we'll file that away into the category of Jesus is our hope, Jesus is our strength, Jesus is our peace, Jesus is our comfort, all of these things that sound really good, we want to put them on posters, we want to save them on the background of our phones, we want to put them on our desktop, so that way next time we get a little bit stressed out, we just, oh yeah, Jesus is the light, oh yeah, Jesus is my peace today. We really need to take that from being an abstract idea and bring it down into reality and figure out what that looks like for our lives. Figure out how we can practically apply this to our lives. So how do we respond to this morning, Jesus being our light? We let him shine. Why do we let him shine? First point, first point this morning is we let him shine because if you hide it, you will misuse it. If you hide the light of Jesus, then you misuse the light of Jesus. Verse 21, 
The sole purpose of a lamp is to bring it into a house. What does it do in the house? It lights up everything in that house. If you bring a lamp into a house, all right, so ministry headquarters for Jesus and the disciples at this point is Peter's house, a.k.a. Peter's wife's mom's house in Capernaum. Peter's mother-in-law goes to Ikea in Capernaum. She buys a lamp. She brings it into the house. She plugs it in right? That's what you would do back then? No, absolutely not. They didn't even have Walmarts, okay? So we're not plugging anything in. Don't even think there's electricity. Benjamin Franklin hasn't been invented yet, so, um, or Thomas Edison. So there's really no light going on, right? And so actually what you're doing is you are bringing a clay pot-ish type thing into a house. This is what a lamp would have looked like back then. It was a clay... um, Leaf-shaped contraption is what we're going to call it. And it had an opening inside of it. And you would string a piece of of coil. uh, You would thread a piece of string through there, and you would coil it up on the inside. You would pour oil in there, and then you would light it so it would bring light to everything around it. So remove the idea of what you're thinking a lamp is. It's something that you would get from Walmart, Ikea, Amazon, whatever. And think about this. Okay, this is an open flame. Okay, now think about what Jesus says. You bring a lamp into your house, you put it up on a stand. Why? Because if you put it under a bed, what's it going to do? It's not going to do anything. It's not going to light anything until it catches it on fire. Okay, and then you have an insurance claim. You got to figure that out. You're going to have a really big lamp because your bed's going to be on fire. And then maybe the rest of the house is going to be on fire. Do you put it under a basket? Why would you put a lamp under a basket? Because you're trying to hide the light. Or you really don't like that basket, and you just need to get rid of that basket. So why would you hide a lamp at all? You absolutely wouldn't, and if you did, you would end up getting burnt. Any hiding of light, especially light that is needing to be used to illuminate everything around it, is a misuse of that light. So where are we to put the lamp to get the most out of it? Put it on a stand. Put it centrally located. Put it in an area where it will broadcast light and cover everything in light around it. Verse 22, we have to ask the question, where has God decided to display the light of his son to us? Well, it's still in the son. It's still in the person of Jesus, but by way of the word, John 1:14, And the word became flesh, that is Jesus, and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So what does this light of Jesus do in the world? How do we take this from an abstract concept? Okay, I have this lamp. I'm not going to put it under my bed. I'm not going to put it in a basket. I'm going to put it on a stand. I'm going to put it out in the middle to where it broadcasts light on everything. Well, what is that light actually going to do? And if Jesus is that light, then now what is Jesus going to do through being that true light? He's going to do three things. He's going to reveal truth. As it says in the scripture, he will make manifest what is hidden. He's going to enlighten minds. He's going to point out God's way and God's design for us to follow in our lives. He's going to illuminate the path before us. Third thing, he's going to conquer darkness. He's going to shine his light on what is secret. And so now we have to ask ourselves, what do we do with Jesus? What do we do with the light of Jesus? What do we do with God's word in our life? Do we use it to actually illuminate things in our lives and in the lives of others, or do we hide it? 
do we hide it from ourselves? Because to hide it from ourselves is to misuse it. Because that was never the intent of God's word, of Jesus and his life in our lives. We didn't receive it so that we could hold on to it. So what are we doing with it in our lives personally? It's going to reveal the design that God has laid out for us to live by. It's going to illuminate his principles so that we can understand them as we read his word. But it's also going to conquer darkness in our lives. And I think this is a place where a lot of us are like, okay, yeah, I'll read my Bible. I'll, I'll, I'll ask God to help me understand it a little bit better. And, and that's kind of the extent of where we'll go. Jesus, yeah, I, I want to invite you into this decision. I want you to help illuminate my path. Show me which way I need to go in my life. What choice I need to make. Jesus, are you in this? Are you in that? Maybe that's somewhere where we've gone before. But a place that we really try to stay away from is Jesus I'm a complete, messed up, broken disaster of a person. And no matter how hard I try to keep it all together, no matter how hard I try to do good in my life, I am still messed up, broken, and a disaster. And so, Jesus, I need your illumination to move in my life. I need you to get a little bit broader and a little bit brighter over and over and over. And, and these things that I have hidden in the corners of my life that I honestly don't even want to go back to and think about, these sinful, dark areas that I try to stay away from, Jesus, I need you to move your light just a little bit closer to those places. I need you to help me identify things that I don't even know about myself. And as you identify them to me, Jesus, then I need to give them up to you. I need to let you work through those things. I need to stop hiding your light. I need to start showing your light. I need to stop using your light in the places that I want you to be, and I need to allow you to shine your light wherever it is you want to be. What do we do with God's word? What do we do with the light of Jesus? Do we hide it from others? If we hide it from others, then once again, we misuse it because a lamp is used to illuminate, not just things around us, but things around other people. And if the light is with us, then it should go anywhere that we go. As believers, we're to be the moon. And the sun, the S-O-N, is the sun, the S-U-N, in our lives. And it puts off all the light. We have no light to give ourselves because just like the moon, we, we're not a big ball of burning gas, right? But what do we do? We reflect all, the sun, all of the sun that the sun puts out. We reflect all of that light into whatever situation that we're in. So that means that first it has to hit us. And then it goes from us to others. Are we hiding the word? Are we hiding the light of Jesus in our lives from ourselves? Or are we hiding it from other people? Then verse 23. If anyone has ears, let them hear. So are you listening? Are you really listening this morning? Are you listening? Jesus is about to say, pay attention. Because I don't want you to become death before this truth. So why is that? We'll get the answer in our next set of scripture, Mark 4, 24 through 25. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So if you hear it, then you hide it, you lose it. That's what this is saying. Second point today, if you hide it, you will lose it. Verse 24 is clear. 
Hear the word and do the word. By the measure you use it, it will be added to you. This word measure here is referencing or referring to their hearing. If you hear well and have a receptive heart to the word, then you will receive it back even more. To the one who has, it will be given. This is playing off of a concept in Proverbs 9, verse 9. Give instructions to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. If we respond to God's truth, he will give us even more of God's truth. And what Jesus is really setting up here is just kind of in the middle of this parable about the lamp. He is starting to just lay the foundation of little things grow into really big things. And little things in the kingdom of heaven, though they start small, they end up really, really big. And so what Jesus is laying out this idea of is that if we partake in the kingdom while it is still small, then we will partake even more when this thing takes off and goes absolutely global, when Jesus returns and sets it up for an eternity. But if we choose not to partake, not to respond, even that small amount that we have, okay, so we hear the word, we hear the truth, and then we use the truth, Okay, well, now we're going to receive more, but on the other side, we hear it, we don't act on it, we don't do anything. Not only do we not have the truth anymore, but everything else that we have will be taken away from us. You hide it, you lose it. So, how do we see this today? How do we see the world around us take this idea that Jesus is the true light and try to absolutely hide it from everything because it's going to get in the way of their agenda and their plans? What are ways that we see this in the media? What are ways that we see this on our social media? What are ways that we see this in the news? What are ways that we see this just in life? Maybe it's sports. Maybe it's just in something we saw on a poster somewhere. I want us to take a look at a couple of examples today of things that have happened on live TV recently, something that happened a while ago, and something that really uh, falls in line with the world wanting to take the true light of Jesus and hide it under the bed. The world wanting to take the true light of Jesus and, and put it under a basket because it goes in direct opposition of what they want. So this first one is an interview clip of uh, Texans quarterback C.J. Stroud after they won a playoff game. And uh, C.J. Stroud loves the Lord, and he gives credit to the Lord as he does at the beginning of all of his interviews. Uh, so what we'll take a look at is the way that he said it on live TV. So the audio is not super clear. This is somebody literally holding a phone up to their TV recording and, uh, and recording it. And then we'll see what ESPN, uh, how ESPN took that clip, how they edited it down, took Jesus out of it completely, and then rebroadcasted it to all of their social media and actually got some backlash for it. So first clip, original clip with C.J. Stroud. Okay, so what you heard him say there was, ah, la, 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 Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, okay? And again, I told you, audio quality was not going to be very good, okay? Now what we see is how it's been edited. See it? Taken out completely. Watch out, Brock Purdy. They're coming for you. You win the Super Bowl, you give credit to the Lord, guess what? That's probably going to be edited as well. It doesn't just 
end with C.J. Stroud. This is something that's been going on in sports for quite a while. There's a soccer player by the name of Neymar Jr. who for a season wore a white headband that said 100% Jesus on it. Like this was his, uh, these are like his Jordans, okay? You could buy this headband on, um, on Amazon right now. And so before a, uh, a prestigious award ceremony, one of the biggest awards they could give out for the sport, there were three athletes that were taken into consideration and nominated for this, uh, this trophy. Neymar Jr. was one of them. Leo Messi was the other. Obviously, he won because he's the best. If you're not passionate about soccer, I get that. You're American, okay? And I am too, but we're going to go everywhere today. So um, what they had was a little highlight clip before this award ceremony, and it's say, hey, this is how awesome this soccer player is. And so what we have here is um, a clip from the original um, unedited version, which is just his highlight reel and him wearing his headband, and then FIFA getting a hold of it before this award ceremony and completely blurring it out. And this isn't something that's new. This is something that happens over and over and over and over. But it always only seems to happen to Jesus. It doesn't happen to any founder or any god of any other religion. They seem to all be pretty unified. It seems to be everybody really against Jesus. It doesn't seem to be against any other idea. Imagine if they did this to a rainbow flag today, the outburst that there would be for that. It always seems to be targeted and pointed to Jesus. So why would the enemy, why would the world do something like this? This all goes back to where we started this morning. John 1.9. Jesus is the true light. And as the true light, Jesus can change absolutely everything for those in darkness. But also as the true light, once Jesus starts shining his light for those that are in the darkness, it's going to be like they're vampires walking outside in the middle of day. And I know vampires aren't real. Please don't think I think vampires are real. Um, also, don't think that vampires, if they were real, would sparkle like diamonds like they did in the Twilight movies if they went outside. That's absolutely not going to happen. They're going to burn to death. That's the only hope us humans have, the sun and wooden stakes. Um, I'm glad we talked about that this morning. Jesus. Jesus is the true light. The enemy, he has a counterfeit light. The enemy wants to deceive the world with his counterfeit light. Why wouldn't the enemy just go the straight up evil route and do the most wicked, horrendous things? Because that wouldn't trick us. We, couldn't, we wouldn't get behind that because that's too obvious. And so what does he do? According to 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, he parades in light. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He wants to distract from the greatness of God, and he wants to distract us with the good of this world. Well, it's not terrible, so it must be all right. But it's also not the goodness, the greatness of God. Why? Because if he can keep us distracted if he can keep us believing the wrong thing, if he can keep us pacified in something that's so close to the perfection of the will of God, then we will be just distracted enough to never experience it at all. We will continue to be enslaved. And so what I want us to do this morning is really take this from uh, a lofty abstract concept floating up in the cloud. I want us to download it. I want us to apply it. I want us to put it to work in our lives. I want us to do exactly um, what we've been reading about. I want us to take things of this world, concepts, phrases, ideas that we come across, some of us maybe daily, some of us maybe not so much, and I want to 
hold the counterfeit light of the enemy and of the world up to the true light of the gospel. And so let's walk through three different phrases this morning and do just that. We have the true light of Jesus. We have the counterfeit light of the enemy. And so let's hold up things of this world to the true light that are considered to be counterfeit light. Maybe some of you have heard of this concept, love is love. Anybody ever hear that love is love? All right, raise your hand. We got like 17, 20 people more than first service now. Okay. I was like, man, everybody's heard of love is love. That's why I'm going to talk about it the most. That's why I'm going to talk about it first. And then like three and a half people uh, actually ever heard somebody say that. Well, this concept of love is love, it seems to be pretty self-explanatory. Um, it seems to just make sense. Yeah, love is love. Love equals love. But the way that it has been adopted and put into use and the context around us is something that has become completely unbiblical. The way that is being used as described by a participant in 2016 at the Love and Equality Rally in New York says this, to me, Love is love means that my friends and family and anyone who might love someone is able to love them freely and willingly. No one is telling them that that's not okay. And so basically the point that is being made with this thinking is all love is equally valid and valuable no matter the object or the way that it is expressed. Basically this concept as the way it's being interpreted by this person is, I should be able to love, or be intimate with, whoever I want, however I want, whenever I want. As long as that person is feeling valued, experiencing happiness, and finding intimate satisfaction, it doesn't matter if that relationship is straight, gay, bi, monogamous, polygamous, exclusive, or open, or anything else. Why? Because love is love. Okay, so that's the counterfeit light. So now let's hold that up to the true light of Jesus, the light of the word. And we see that there's a problem. We see that love is not love. We see that just by its definition, this can't be the case. You see, in America, we have a problem, and that that's that we take one word of love that actually has eight different words that represent it in Greek, four that are covered in the New Testament, and we say that one word for everything. So I'm not shy about this. I absolutely love hot, fresh, golden, crispy french fries, okay? I've talked about it way too much recently. I think I just need probably just to go eat some. Uh, so I love french fries. You know what else I love more than anything? My wife. Man, she's incredible. I love french fries. I love my wife. I love lamp. Is that the same love? Absolutely not. It is absolutely not the same love. You see, just biblically, looking at the Greek New Testament usage of these words, there are four different representations of love. There's storge. All right, so that is an affection. That is a family-type love. There's philia, which is friendship or this brotherly love. There's eros, which is a sensual, romantic love. And then there is agape love. And sometimes I might think I have this agape love towards these french fries, but I absolutely don't, and they're bad for me. But I have an agape love towards my wife. This agape love is unconditional love. It is perfect love. It is pure. It is sacrificial. It is that John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son kind of love. But the problem isn't just in definition. The problem further in this love is love concept is that it twists biblical teaching on love. 
See, it asserts this idea that you can't help whom you fall in love with. And so if I can't help whom I fall in love with, then that means that you can't actually judge me on something that I can't help. But the problem there is that is not love whatsoever. That's infatuation. That's infatuation that's been fueled by hormones and emotion. And that's not a love because that is self-serving. And true love looks different than that counterfeit love. True love isn't just emotional. True love isn't just fueled by how I feel, this, this, this amazing feeling I get whenever I'm around that person. No, true love is a daily choice to be selfless in action. We see this true love displayed in 1 Corinthians 13, 4-6. Love is patient and kind and does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Did anybody just wake up doing any of these things this morning? Let's be honest. Love is patient. Okay, mom, I just lost my patience. They weren't even calling my name. Love is kind. Somebody asked something that you're just not ready for. You haven't had your coffee yet. That thing is not going to happen. That is not very kind. These are not things that just happen because of hormone-based decisions in our lives. These are not things that just happen because we feel like they should. These are selfless choices. And then we get another definition of love. And that was displayed ultimately on the cross. And we see this in Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is unconditional. You were a sinner. I was a sinner. And Jesus willingly gave his life for us so that he could take our sin, so that we could receive his righteousness, so he could make us right before the Father. That's selfless. That is a choice. And then, to put the nail in the coffin in this argument, John writes in John, 1 John 4.16, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. In one phrase, we have the light of the word bring truth into this situation. God is love. Counterfeit light has removed God from the situation entirely and replaced his truth with the enemy's deception. And now the deceived worship their definition of love and not the God that is the source, the true source of love. And in worshiping their own definition, they chase emotional highs and hookups instead of seeking to be loved by him and in turn truly selflessly love and serve other people. They have fallen for the counterfeit. And any time we fall for the counterfeit, no matter what that is, it will lead to our destruction. So no more love is love nonsense. Hold it up to the true light. Realize that it is counterfeit. See the destruction that it leads to. Replace it with truth. And that truth is that God is love. And then go and love someone selflessly as he has loved you. There's another concept that is floating out there today, and that is find your truth. Anybody ever hear find your truth? Okay. The same people that heard the first one. We have our target audience here. I've identified you. We're good. This is pretty niche, apparently. Find your truth. No way. The truth is not subjective. 
It cannot change and it does not change depending on how you feel. So hold it up to the true light. John 14, 6, I, Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Where the world would say, if you're just good enough, you'll get to heaven. Where the world would say, all religions are the same, same God, you're going to end up in the same place one day. That is a lie. That is a counterfeit light. That is absolutely not true. What does Jesus say? I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 8, 32, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so what God wants to do is God wants to give you the truth in the, through, through his light, through Jesus, through his word. And that being the true light, he wants it to be in opposition through this, to this counterfeit light. He wants it to set you free where the counterfeit light wants to trick you just, with just enough goodness that's hidden in wickedness that it can absolutely enslave you and then destroy you. Counterfeit truth will always enslave, but the truth of Jesus will not only set us free, but take us to the Father. Final motto, final mantra of our culture today, be the best you. Anybody, be the best you. Yeah, we can raise our hands again. We're getting good at this. More. I should have flipped it. I should have flipped it. Be the best you should have been first. We should have spent 15 minutes on that and 30 seconds on love is love. Okay. Next time, we'll, we'll, we'll come back next week. Be the best you. If you're going to be the best you, then I don't think you actually truly understand or have a biblical worldview on who you actually are. It's a counterfeit light. Hold it up to the true light. What does the true light of the word say? Romans 3.12, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. This is talking about us. No one does good, not even one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if we are going to be the best versions of ourselves based off of this world's concept, then what are we going to do? We're going to get really good at sinning. We're going to get master's degree in, in wickedness. We are going to be incredibly wicked. We are going to be incredibly lost. But what does the world mean by be the best you. I mean, try as hard as you can, work as hard as you can to become a better version of yourself. Is that a biblical concept? No, absolutely not. The Bible calls us to die to ourselves. If we're going to come become the best versions of ourselves, we're going to hold a funeral for who we used to be, and we're going to become Jesus. And so don't be the best version of you. Be Jesus everywhere you go. Be the moon that reflects the sun everywhere you go. Be the believer that operates out of the will of the Father and through the power of the Holy Spirit is able to follow him through life everywhere he says to go. This is not about you. This has never been about you. This will never be about you. This is about our King Jesus. And so let's lay ourselves to rest. Let's put ourselves aside. We have been made new creations when we have put our hope and our trust and our faith in Jesus to save us. When we repent and believe, it is no longer about who we are, no matter how good we want to become. It is now, because we've been justified from our sins, it's now time to be sanctified and become more like Jesus and to lay ourselves aside every single day and submit ourselves to the Lord and say, you know what, Jesus, not about me. This is about you. So I submit myself fully to you. You call the shots for me today. That is how we can be the best us, is not being us at all, but being 100% fully Jesus, in the will of the Father. So how do we take this scripture this morning? How do we apply it to our lives? How do we leave this place and go get after it? How, are, how is it that we are to be the church and display the kingdom? First and foremost, let the light of Jesus shine on you. 
Let it guide and correct your path. Let it disprove counterfeit life in your life. Let it shine to the icky, yucky corners you try to keep it from. Let them clean them out. Make the most of it. You have been given it. So use it and receive even more of it. Then let the light of Jesus shine through you. Don't hide it. Allow Jesus to rescue others from the darkness using your life. Use this light to light their paths to the true light of Jesus. So that because of who you are in their lives, because of the family God has placed you in, because of the place he has called you to work, because of the people he's called you to be friends with, because of the situations he's put you in, the people he's put you around, that these people would have the hope of the gospel so that they would not die and go to hell. But because of the light that shines off the sun, S-O-N, to you, the moon, onto these people, their paths would be lit to where they can come into right relationship with God the Father through the work of the Son. Because of who you were, having died to yourself and depended on him. Let's pray.